Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kane and Rint's uh, issue 318. Uh, in this issue, we will be covering the Stanley Parable. But before we dive into that game, um, let's talk about some shows that will be coming up in future. So, future issues include Resident Evil, Code Veronica, Space Invaders, Pikmin. Zone of the Enders, and continuing our series on the Final Fantasy games. We're finally entering the SNES era. I am very happy, uh, Final Fantasy IV. Um, and if you're interested in kind of uh, sharing your, your views or opinions on any of these titles, please head over to the forum, kananrince.com slash forum. Um, you can also uh, share your views with us on Twitter. Please head over to the website. You'll find a range of interesting articles and all sorts of other things. Um, uh, you'll also find our uh, sister podcast, Sound of Play, uh, which is a podcast where we talk about all of our favorite pieces of music from video games over the years. Um, and if you feel like giving something back to the podcast, um, we have our Patreon in earlier issues, we said nothing was behind closed doors. Um, Leon and Jay do occasionally post up the extra thing for uh, for uh, Patreon subscribers, but the main podcast, Sound of Play and Kana Rinse, are free for everyone. It's just there if you want to give a little bit back to the podcast. Uh, but if you want something more tangible for your money, uh, there's also uh, shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash Kana Rinse, where you can buy all sorts sorts of uh, merchandise goodies. And of course, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and reviews and uh, ratings on uh, your podcast app of choice are all much appreciated. So joining me in issue 318 are James Carter. Hello. And uh, semi-regular guest, uh, Sean Bell, formerly of Midnight Resistance and kind of still part of the computer game show. <laughs> uh, yeah, tenuously, yes. So, um, the Stanley Parable. Um, before um, I kind of hand it over to you guys to talk through your history, some background on this game. Um, so we're mainly going to be talking about the re-release of the game um, that was developed by Galactic Calf, which is basically Davy uh, Raiden and uh, William Pugh together uh, re-releasing the original 2011 uh, mod for Half-Life 2, also called the Stanley Parable. Um, this is mainly the uh, the brainchild of Davy uh, Raiden. Um, the you know there's loads of other people's hands have touched this game, but um, he's the guy mostly responsible for the uh, the original mod. And uh, and and is the lead going into the uh, the uh, HD remaster of the the game that was released in uh, 2013? I'll hand it over to you guys now. Um, I want to start with Sean. Um, do you have any history with the mod, or did you just kind of dive straight into this 2013 uh, edition of the game? Yeah, I was quite lazy on this one. I um. <laughs> Uh, I was I was aware of the mod, and then you know saw people getting excited. Um, you know it was like this, like between this and Dear Esther, it was like 
this this sudden thing of like really interesting mods suddenly getting you know fully fledged um, releases. But no, I, I was I was really uh, a bit of a slacker on this. I, th- I think I only picked it up when it ended up in a Steam sale for about sixty p or something. And yeah, it was relatively late to it. I think still sort of twenty fourteen or something like that. Um, but yeah, no sort of storied history with it particularly. Just heard a lot of people talking about how very clever it was and. Um, and you know, with it being so short, it's and with it being cheap, um, it was it seemed silly not to pick it up, and yeah, ended up obviously checking it out and really enjoying it. Um, James, how about yourself? Any experience of the uh, the mod, or did you dive straight into this uh, re-release of the game? First, can I say I'm so glad to be able to mention Dear Esther and not be the one that brought it up <laughs> for once. <laughs> um, uh, the, Dear Esther, absolutely a touchstone for me as well, um, because I was aware of the mod, but only probably by the time it was known the remake was going to be coming out, you know, shortly yeah. before, and it was mentioned. And, and I didn't go back to the mod, but I, I did grab the uh, demo right before uh, I, I downloaded and started playing the, the main game. Um, I looked back at my Steam library, and sure enough, I picked this up on the 21st of October and I think sat down and played it on the 27th the benefits of Steam knowing everything about my gaming habits is that <laughs> I can now remember uh, when I've got it so I'm pretty sure that was at or immediately after launch but um, as is often the way podcasts just started talking about this game and mentioning that there was a demo that you should probably play because surprisingly for uh, a game demo it was completely separate or rather completely distinct content from the uh, the full game um, and just the, the fervor around people talking about the game uh, at release in October 2013 was more than enough to, to get me interested to play it um, and kind of wanted to play it before I knew much more than enthusiastic kind of source mods player choice discussions that i'd heard so um so yeah uh and and haven't played it since and didn't go back into the version of my steam library today because i've realized if i wait until october i can get an entirely pointless achievement where i've waited five years to play the game again (laughs) (laughs) i looked at it today and thought "I, i can't i can't do it yeah i could change the clock on my computer but i can't having inadvertently waited four and a half years i can't not wait until five years (laughs) <laughs> I unfortunately have uh, no experience with the mod either. Um, uh, like you guys, it was one of those things that I've heard about, but just couldn't be bothered to actually seek out and uh, experience. Um, and it wasn't until this, this you know, effectively a re-release of the game was starting to get talked about um, that I really had any interest to check out the Stanley Parable. But much like Sean, it wasn't until it was like 50% or something in some Steam sale, I forget when, um, that I en- ended up picking it up. And, pr- and pretty much um, played through the whole thing in about two set- sittings. Um, I did also play the demo, um, which we are definitely going to talk about. Um, I, I think that 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 it's too unique not to have mm. a little bit of discussion about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I did play the demo before playing the game as well. 
Um, but yeah, the, my primary experience of this game is the the re-release. My understand based on the research I've done, my understanding is we haven't really missed out on anything particularly different. Um, there are obviously a lot of additions to the re-release, um, but uh, in terms of uh, changes to the kind of script and uh, the original endings, uh, they're pretty much the same. Obviously, it looks prettier and all of that, but we'll we'll get into that in a bit. Um, just a few more details I want to touch on. The reception of this game, it was the re-release was basically uh, warmly received by critics. Um, it's got an average Metacritic of uh, 88%, and it doesn't feel like this game particularly suffered from any form of buck backlash um, in terms of critical reception. Um, more recent pieces on it seem to um, reflect that, that kind of positive reception. Before we dive into the main game, let's let's just talk about the demo now because I think it's it's so interesting and unique and and does such a great job of actually selling the main game in a way that demos are usually terrible at. Um, but mainly because it's 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 its own unique and it's incredible that they did this. That the demo is its own unique piece of content that they just gave away for free. Um, so, James, like, do you want to do you want to just talk about your experience of the demo? My first experience of the demo, I suppose, is kind of similar to my first experience with Stanley Parable, which is what hit me was, oh, so this is a source game then, and and I knew that beforehand, <laughs> but you start in a garage, and I just turned around and thought, well, this could be a garage in Half Life, and yeah, there's that yeah, weird yeah. aspect of of this having been a mod game. Um, it means that, uh, at least in the first instance, the it, like a level designer, it allows you to play with um, assets and, and an engine and modules in that engine that are already kind of there for you to play with. And it means you can exercise and learn about game design and level design without having to worry about all that other stuff that kind of polishes the game and makes it unique in that way. Um, and yeah, you, I turned around in that garage and looked at the, the cars down the wall and just the kind of slightly boxy, slightly grey look that the Source engine kind of typically has. That's unfair, obviously, to say that, but it does just, it screamed Source engine at me in a way that overcame knowing that that's what it was in. Every step I took from there on, it just felt kind of bizarre because you you start off being signposted towards the demonstration of the Stanley Parable, like it's some weird tutorial for you the player before you actually are allowed to play the the full game uh it's just got this really strange atmosphere to it this the humor is introduced quite slowly uh in both the demo and the main game but you know um the the moment of of walking through and seeing that wall of buttons in front of you was just I, i'll never forget that for for a, a short sort of 20 minute demo uh with a narrator sort of chiding me about what I, who I am and what I expect from uh, a game. It was just uh, bizarre, but such fun. The key differences between the demo and, and the main game for me is that the comedy is much more broad and um, in your face straight away, unlike the, the, the main game. I think the main game has, while it's very, very funny, I think it very, and we'll get into this, it very much has a... Uh, a thematic core it wants to explore kind of the relationship between the game designer 
and the game designer's audience. Whereas this feels much more just like, um, and, and I don't say this as a negative, but like simple parody of um, known tropes of demos and stuff like that. And uh, and also just kind of like games desire to be emotional and impactful. Um, like as, as a former um, a GCSE drama student, I really appreciated uh, the emotion booths uh, just because <laughs> I have sat through so many kind of um, like GCSE A-level presentations where somebody is monologuing in the middle of the stage and then the other actors are just circling around them shouting emotive words and they're convinced, <laughs> they're convinced what they're showing you is this powerful piece of theatre and then they realise that the very next group after them are going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> Um, so that that kind of like just like uh, that kind of insight into kind of I feel like every creative field has that their their version of that of being a student in an environment where you're surrounded by people who still haven't quite kind of perfected their craft mm. and think this kind of like weak attempt at um expressing emotion is actually really powerful and like getting that sense like i i think with um with this game they're probably less you know drawing on drama and it's more uh, writing g generally kind of like narrative fiction um but like that that kind of commonality between creative fields of that yes every every student who's been involved in any form of art has had the equivalent of people shouting emotive words at them uh, um, uh, while trying to monologue through an emotional speech, it, it, that that really tickled me. Yeah, sort of my first interpretive art piece, almost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Uh, so I never played the demo. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I, no, I, I didn't realize it was its own self-contained thing. Like, how does it work in terms of? Because you know, the we'll, you know, we'll get onto it in a minute. I'm sure, but the main game is essentially framed around this one problem of, of either going with or rebelling against the narrator. Is that yeah. in the demo or does um, it sort of skirt no, around that? It, no, it's, it's, it's much more just, it's much more scripted. You have yeah. the choice to kind of go into these uh, discrete rooms in whatever order you want, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, just like 20 minutes of yeah. a very scripted comedy moments. Yeah. But um, just the the kind of insight into, like basically instead of it being about game design, it's about like the the uselessness of demos and how ultimately they miss sell the mm. game no matter no matter how how good they are or, or what what's actually in there. there. There's a fundamental deception going on when you're creating um, a demo and just the having having this unique piece of content play into it like the 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 the, the narrator constantly going okay right um d ignore that bit that doesn't represent the game whatsoever <laughs> don't form your opinion on the stanley parable based on that yeah. horrible sequence that you just went through let's just start fresh clear your mind let's go go into this next section that insight and that 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 willingness to give this away for free—that's the mm. thing that baffles me. I think is that the, uh, clearly a lot of work went into this. Maybe not the same amount of man hours as the main game, but this was, you know, this 
clearly took a lot of you know time and the the, the writing is really on point um so yeah just having this kind of this free bit of content that just just takes the piss out of uh, of demo culture and all the demos that have been created in the past is is just really really funny it's interesting how you know because there's been other games where the the demo that they've released has actually been this you know very sort of um even if not sort of created specifically for the demo it's been sort of curated in like a special way um like it reminds me a bit of the bravely default demo on the 3ds where it was like it was a chunk of the game but they rewrote stuff and they sort of rebalanced it so that you could play you know an hour of it and get a feel for how characters progress and stuff like that and it's interesting how yeah you can have a a demo that basically isn't the game but gives you a better sense of what the game is. As Josh, you said, it, it doesn't necessarily have the same sense of humour or tone that it's aiming for as the main game, but it does give you a flavour of what you're going to expect yeah, yeah. from the main game. And kind of, uh, I, I could see this having been a tutorial they started writing and just, I, I'm sure they didn't, but I, I could see it being a tutorial they started writing and just realised if the tutorial doesn't, fit into the game narratively then it shouldn't be in there and pulling it out and putting it separately but it's as josh you said so on on the nose and on point as to what it's doing slightly differently to the main game that i have to think it was created completely separately and yeah to to give that away free and not have it be a cherry pick moment or two from the game because they understood i guess that the game needed to be a whole it needed to have that slow ramp up of the the kind of wacky humor and then the dark humor and that couldn't be interrupted by having already seen some of it in in a demo um and yeah just it it works really well it's almost cheating in a way isn't it like if if you've got a game where you you think it needs a tutorial but it's going to mess up the structure of it to just release that as the demo is quite a clever way around that really yeah 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 absolutely I think we're going to move into the main game and I am going to issue uh, a spoiler warning. Uh, This game can be spoiled and I think you probably do want to experience um, what it has on offer um, before uh, continuing with this podcast. It's a a lot about discovery and and player-driven discovery. So uh, there's your spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear what's in the game, stop listening, play the game now. Let's just go with first impressions. Kind of, you're you're loading up the game, James. You've already kind of touched on uh, what you kind of felt when loading up the demo and this game about the Source Engine. But do do you want to elaborate on that a little bit with the with the main game? So yeah, I mean, uh, you you start off in a very plain office environment, and the Source Engine lends itself to that because it does interior kind of boxy environments very well. And it has a very clear um, artistic design to it in that it's very uh, bold lettering, I guess, in terms of numbers on doors and that kind of thing. Uh, And very sort of clear from the off where you are and what you're supposed to be Mm. doing. You, You know, you're kind of locked away in a four foot by four foot office it's a very small room around you not very big at all and then i, I guess it's it, it's about taking you out of that and and changing that along the way um but yeah the the source engine just seemed to kind of jump off the screen at me in terms of i mean usually you're seeing it being blown apart by uh by you know combine fire or whatever but in this case it, it was something much more uh mundane but worked with yeah. with what the source engine is good at 
I think like your your kind of observations about the source engine being this kind of like quite dull looking engine for the most part. I think Portal Two um, is the sure. kind of exception Absolutely. to that rule, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, by and large, yeah, it it sort the source engine has this very kind of. I feel like it's the origin point for all the brown games that we saw during the 360 <laughs> yeah. era. Um, Thank you, Unreal. But uh, um, but in in Half Life 2's case and and in the Stanley Parables case, I do think that that kind of uh, mundane, kind of dull look it, it plays in the game's favor. Like it needs to establish this kind of level of um, normality in the early stages of the game so that when the the more creative stuff the more um subversive stuff starts to happen it kind of lands with a bit more impact if this game started as a wild as it ends up being later on um i do think a lot of its impact would have been lost and i think the bravery of just kind of starting the game with this kind of dull office environment and even the narrate like the narration gets really you know creative and wild <laughs> later on but even the narration is i mean the the guy is clearly kind of you know channeling a little bit of stephen fry um the 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 uh, the actor's name by the way is uh, kevin uh, brighting there there's definitely like a little big planet esqueness to his delivery um which i don't think is an accident as the game goes along, that kind of mundanity, I think, yeah. Um, even though, like, I, I think I was slightly put off by it because the, the, the demo um, starts out so, um, like, it, it doesn't waste any time kind of getting to the giggles, whereas this takes, um, uh, takes its time. And ultimately, like, looking back, I think it's definitely in the game's favour that it does this. Mm. Um, but initially, I was like, oh, okay, actually, this is not... What I thought this game was going to be, yeah, yeah. Um, Sean. What, what what were your thoughts? I was going to say, like with regards to the the visuals, it definitely looks older than it is, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah like yeah. you know, here, like rem- being reminded that it came out in twenty thirteen, and you think, okay, well, I guess a you know a lot happens in in five years. Um, but then actually, when you realise that this came a year after Dear Esther, and only a year before, uh, sorry, same year as Gone Home. Um, only one year before, like vanishing of Ethan Carter and stuff like that, and you think, oh, actually, no, this <laughs> it it must have. I don't really remember thinking this at the time, but it must have looked a little bit dated. But as you say, I, th- I do think that's an intentional thing. Yeah. It's it all sort of feeds into that dreariness and the sort of again you, that loading it up and being like, okay, it's a source game. Sort of draws you into expecting something kind of mm. dull, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that when you when you first get to that, you know, that room where it's like, you know, Stanley takes the left door and you have that choice between the two and suddenly you're like, right, hang on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in terms of general first impressions, like, like I definitely, like I played it and really enjoyed it at the time, but it was like, because it was such a, a fresh and unusual thing back then, it like it's, it's difficult to engage with it critically in the same way because you're just sort of, you're too busy just being like, this is so weird <laughs> like, <laughs> to yeah, actually yeah. sort of really, you know, assess it properly. Um, so it, it's really nice going back to it now and, and sort of having, you know, like a, a different pair of eyes to look at it with. But yeah, at the time, it, it, yeah, it was just that sense of like, just not really knowing what's going on, never knowing what to expect and just enjoying that for what it was without really engaging with it any deeper than that, really. This game was, 
I think part of what was at the time kind of a trend um, of games kind of talking about game design and player choice and stuff like that, like um, Bioshock is like the obvious um, Mm. example of that, um, where the game very directly uh, confronts the player with the futility of choice in a offered experience with the uh, famous would you kindly twist um, but like this I think this game takes it one step further um, and actually like really puts a microscope on it um, like Sean you've already mentioned the two doors um, I I am willing to place a bet that about 90% of people playing this for the first time immediately went through the opposite door (laughs) just because the temptation to defy the narrator is so uh, strong. Like, (laughs) you just like, (laughs) do you think that that is like an act of rebellion or is that just the way that games train us to look for secrets and that if 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 one thing looks like the obvious route, then there's probably something cool the other way, you know? But the, yeah, but I yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, I think what's great about this game is that it shows you that even your your act of rebellion is offered. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your choice was not a choice at all because the 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 designer of this game wanted you to do that because they've trained you to do that. Mm. Like every game you've ever played has trained you to go. That's the main path. Okay, I'll go down this path instead. <laughs> in God of War, the original games, and the camera is focused was, on the path I was where you need that. to go. Yeah, you so go bad and find the yeah. find the one that the camera's not focused yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or if you start off and you know there's collectibles in the game, you immediately turn around and look behind you. Um, yeah. You, you yeah. know, uh, ga- games uh, plenty of of two D platformers. Um, it's a left to right orientation. So the first thing you do is you try and go left and see. And and the first level of subversion of that is a developer acknowledging you're going to do that and putting the hidden thing in the place they know yeah. you're going to go and that's exactly the thing here there is this um this notion in society i think uh, and being as someone who uh, has has had most scientific background uh, often the creative artistic types if you like the notion is that oh, they push boundaries, they rebel. And there's kind of, you could see it as a fetishization of, of rebelliousness. Um, and and this game renders that completely moot because every time you do that, it acknowledges, yeah, we knew you might do that. Here's what we've got to say about it. And you're, you can't get outside of the, the design of the game, which which is true of all games really unless you actually break them yeah where the choice is there yeah sure you can you can you know in mass effect you can pick the blue or the red conversation option it was still an option given to you you didn't you didn't step outside of any box at all you know um and that's that's entirety of what this game trades in yeah and and yeah absolutely I think having having the the narrator there as just kind of reinforcing that I I really like the 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 comments from the narrator when you do rebel and go he starts going what are you doing you're ruining my game <laughs> uh, and all of that I think that's really really funny and but ultimately shows that look that whatever choices you make it's still all preordained like like you're saying like it's 
there is no true choice in an experience that's authored. No matter how how many options they give you, no matter how big a sandbox Breath of the Wild is, like all of that stuff you're encountering because the designer wants you to encounter them. Um, there are no original experiences. There are going to be thousands of people who made the exact same choice you made. You are not unique. You <laughs> yeah, are just yeah. uh, you are just a part of column B or column A. Um, and yeah, I, I just find all of that stuff really interesting. But also kind of the 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 narrator, um, the character kind of expressing uh, the frustration of game designers yes, of that, that battle much, yeah. between um, that battle between player agency and and uh, or you know the authored narrative of constantly being in battle with the player because the player wants their freedom they want to do what they want to do they want to they want to be you know they want to do not be told the narrator giving voice to the 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 want uh, for the player to experience the perfect version of their game the perfect version of the narrative that they're trying to to convey but because they're making art in an interactive medium that's impossible um so just like the, the the kind of impossibility of both the creator and and the audience of the the audience thinking they have choices but they don't and the and the author thinking that they can and you know perfectly sculpt this thing that everyone's going to have the same experience but actually ultimately that's an impossibility because the player ha- putting their hands on the art means that it's fundamentally changed in whatever way that that audience you know whatever experiences whatever um, way you know style of play that audience brings to the table is going to in- affect what that art ultimately is they kind of have the cake and eat it in that it sort of makes a mockery of yeah like you say the notions of player agency and interactivity and unique experiences but it still uses some of those tools to make that point <laughs> like yeah, th- yeah. this would not work as a film uh, you know it wouldn't be <laughs> like it has to present you with the choices and even though the point is that your choices are an illusion. It's through trying to make them that it becomes interesting. Yeah. You know? and, and even though, in essence, all you're doing is exploring different branches of a probability tree where every single choice, pretty much, I think, is is a 50-50 binary choice, mm. you, you still want to try and see if, if you can find the ending, the the, the option mm. that you were supposed to take. And, and mm. that that's completely you know you have to try and do that in order to to discover and to realize and to believe that Mm. that's not the point um here all all options are equal all options are valid trying to rebel doesn't necessarily uh and and failing isn't isn't a failure uh it's it's something that the, the game thrives on it needs you to do that it needs the player to be invested in it yeah if this was a film uh in in a kind of You'd be standoffish watching this person run around a maze <laughs> that that is that is not even pushing back against them, just saying yes all the time. Just yes, yeah, you're going to do that. Doesn't matter. Going to do that doesn't matter either. Yeah. And you need to be the one. You need to be the mouse in in the wheel spinning. You know. You need to be the mm, yeah. uh, the rat in the trap, as it were. Um, mm. Yeah, absolutely. Games generally struggle with parody and satire um, because. 
when you're satirizing or parodying things that are this isn't a this is not an original observation this has been brought up in many <laughs> podcasts before um but like it's worth saying that you know when games try to parody the things that are bad about video games ultimately they're still indulging in bad game design yeah. and whereas in a film or a tv show you can passively you know passively observe those you know those observations and go ha yeah you know films do that you know yeah tv shows do that having to do the awful thing is another thing entirely it's just not mm. enjoyable which i which is why i think you know stanley parable's unique in that it's not necessarily saying that this stuff is bad i feel like like the games kind of opinion on um you know player agency and the battle that game designers have to to go in you know go into with their own audience it's not necessary it doesn't necessarily view it as a negative thing mm. it's more kind of conflicted about it and because there are several moments in the game where it's like it indulges in it wholeheartedly and it's like yeah actually this is fun like this <laughs> This is okay. Like this kind of um, weird medium where, like, the artist and the audience are more intimately connected than they would be in more passive media. Like, it's it's a struggle. There are things that are negative that come out of it, but ultimately, this is still fun and worthwhile and interesting and creates interesting scenarios. But at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, but also there are these bad things, <laughs> and and I, I I think ultimately that's why I think. Stanley Parable is maybe better than a lot of its peers in this kind of parody satire genre because it's not necessarily uh, parodying something that's negative. It's interesting that between this and uh, The Beginner's Guide, Davy Reardon's other game, like that also just sort of suggests problems and explores them in interesting ways and then kind of ends without offering any real solutions mm. <laughs> and then, you know and then, like you say the stanley parable sort of plays around with this you know the the sort of false notion of, of player choice and stuff but then doesn't end with like and here's how we should fix that problem like here's, no, here's things, yeah, yeah. things we could do with games that would solve that i mean for me that's enough i don't know if anyone like did either of you sort of come away thinking like yeah but you haven't solved it have you you've just you've sort of, you've pointed out the problem and you've explored it but you haven't fixed it you know i really don't like art that comes up with trite solutions yeah. to problems yeah. um i think i think questions are questions in art are more interesting um than answers mm. most of the time mm -hmm. as long as those questions are explored as long as that you've you've done some like working out and yeah. ultimately come to you like the conclusion from that working out can ultimately be I don't know yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a problem um, you know some of my favorite pieces of fiction are ultimately like like the wire is five seasons mm. of this the world is terrible but I don't know how to fix it is <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think it's better for it. I think if it tried to wrap up um, it all in a neat bow, I think it would defeat... Like, we're going to get on to the ending soon, mm. but, like, one of the pleasures of the game is, like, there is no good ending. Yeah, there no is no ending, yeah, absolutely. The, the canonical yeah. ending. Well, I, I'd argue that there's would... one, but we'll get on to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But, 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 like, yeah, I, I feel like 
the the kind of the point like if it were to if one of the endings was just like and this was the point of stanley parable aren't i smart this is <laughs> the answer to all of gaming's problems that would that w- i think the game would have suffered from that and yeah. i'm glad it doesn't yeah, do yeah that. no absolutely yeah. and i think the the takeaway for me was um something that i've held close to my heart for many many years probably something approaching 30 of them which is, is a terrifying notion that as a six-year-old i believed that second guessing your own motives choices decisions everything is absolutely paramount and mm-hmm. and i think that's okay i think it's okay to to observe a problem and to ask the player as a developer to to think about that and what it means and mm. to take that lesson away to other games and think about that. You know, um, Josh, you mentioned Bioshock being uh, kind of a, a key example of a game that presented something about player choice. It did so, but it, I don't think it was immune to criticism that actually the the gameplay didn't have anything to say about that necessarily. That was a narrative beat yeah. that where, yeah. importantly, control was taken away from the player, but that kind of cropped up almost entirely in a narrative and, and thematic sense and not at all in a mechanical one. And and there are plenty of other uh, games, you know, Spec Ops The Line. Um, I, obviously, we don't want to go into any spoilers on any of these, but uh, even something like uh, Super Hot recently, Undertale, those, there's been plenty of games in Portal we've mentioned that kind of ask the player to think about why it is they are doing what they are doing and whether or not they want to continue doing it. And and as as a player, I always want to see what the developer has to say beyond the point at which I may start feeling uncomfortable about what it is I'm being asked to do. More fool me, I don't generally stop playing the game. Um, although Soma was definitely one that I did, uh, as you well know, Josh. Um, but, yeah. but it comes up it, it, everywhere, I, th- I think, you know, inside a game that I don't think necessarily has something core to say about the themes it brings up, but it brings them up and it's important that it does so. And, and that's exactly what this game's about. And the more you explore the different paths and the different endings, the more you realise the the narrator's vision for the story of um of the Stanley parable is simple and unsatisfying in and of itself mm. um it doesn't present a a conflict until you start pushing back as stanley in this game it doesn't and pushing back in a way that the developer expected you to but nonetheless pushing back against the narrator um there's no core conflict so there's nothing to overcome and that doesn't necessarily mean that when you try to overcome and try to create conflict you should be able to resolve it it just means you it's okay to observe it's there uh, and to say that that is an important part of of the kind of developer player tension that that every game has, whether you realize it or not. Let's talk about the endings. Um, I don't think we really have time to talk about every single ending that's in the game. Um, there are other podcasts that will, uh, you know, provide that kind of beat by beat playthrough uh, of a game. Um, but for now, I think what would be great is if uh, James, starting with you, mm. um, are there any favorite endings um, in the game that really kind of either just speak to you, like they they really speak to the thematic core of the game, or just that you found them really funny? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I think this one probably ticks all boxes. Um, <laughs> the baby game. Yeah. <laughs> My word, when I stumbled on that, I 
that was a mo- a moment of elation that the narrator gets so frustrated with you uh, going against their wishes that they just say, right, scrap this. I'm going to create a new game. I guessed, but I hadn't realized until today that you can spend four hours playing a single button press game yeah. in order to actually see another ending of the game. Because obviously yeah. I got to that point and I did it a few times and thought, ah, and they said, okay, yeah, do this for four hours. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. I'll just let let the baby go. Sean, I apologize as, as the only <laughs> parent on the, on the, pod, well, on the podcast. Because that, that bit, the, the sound design in it is perfect, right? Because yeah, yeah. the babies, you know, no one likes a, a, the sound of a baby crying. It's yeah. you know, hardwired into us. But then also the button that stops the baby from going into the fire also makes like a really horrible noise, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like so, a, a buzzer that you would get to say you've got a question wrong on a quiz show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just like, there's just no relief in any of it. Yeah. It's just horrible. And you're supposed to do it for four hours. Well, and, <laughs> and two hours in, they throw in another button that you have to hit and you can only just make it between the two. That's right, yeah, yeah, So, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> that I mean, I, yeah, just, like obviously yeah, there are videos so of this on YouTube and I've sort of skipped through them just to see what happens because obviously I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. and obviously yeah. a couple of people have been up yeah, on YouTube yeah, yeah. one of them, them the entire four hour sequence by the way so th- that was a real highlight and that actually uh, leads on to so just references for the sake of, of references I'm never a big fan of I, I get that sort of warm fuzzy feeling when I see something I recognise or hear something I recognise um, but uh, the the triggering the the baby game where the narrator gives up designs a game that clearly is like almost Wheatley Portal 2 style just nonsense utter nonsense to make a point that you're just pushing buttons until the developer says you're done and if the developer says you've got to do four hours of this then four hours you have to do Um, or you don't you give up and that's always the the thing in this game is that you always get an alternative and the alternative is you fail that game so the developer then puts you into uh, other games that you may recognise. Um, we've already said this is a spoiler warning, so you end up in Minecraft. But the <laughs> developer or the narrator has taken away your ability to interact with the world. You just watch them do it, which obviously takes away what Minecraft is. Um, and you just walk along a, a linear sequence in Minecraft and then you go into Portal. And again, they give you basic puzzle in Portal that you just walk through and do and go out of. And then the developer just says, yeah, that's it, it's over which is cool. But in, in each sequence, in, in the portal sequence as well, there's ways that you feel like you're going to break the game and you can't. They, they've anticipated it. Uh, even when you do something, you know, like set up a mini Goldberg machine to try and break it so that you get stuck in in the game, they, they still anticipated it. It's just a really cool sequence that kind of uh, picks a couple of games that actually are very pertinent to what is being said, which is is why it kind of escapes that, you know, references for the sake of references uh, kind of situation. Um, but yeah, th- that, that ending's just so cool. It's interesting you say that mm. because that's I was going to bring that up as the one ending that oh, I wasn't I'm actually sorry. a huge fan of. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's uh, good. I, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, mm. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of fan service yep. type stuff yeah, yeah. in any kind of media and i get like i do i take your point i think that the, this is more relevant than uh the most kind of like uh i'm think what's that uh indie game that just had other indie games in it 
It's Metroidvania. I've forgotten what it's called. It's full of oh, fairies. I can't, uh, I can't think of the name <laughs> of it. But anyway. Sounds um, awesome. I, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, but like whenever that kind of stuff happens, hmm. like like Super Meat Boy is in this game for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it does. It's just a total distraction. Um, like I don't, I don't like it. I feel hmm. like you know, be your own game. Like yeah. uh, be your own original experience. Like uh, I love Portal. Um, I feel I have mixed feelings about Minecraft mm-hmm. because of the creator. Mm. Um, sure, but yeah. um, I, I like. I, I like those things when they're they're in, you know when I'm experiencing them within their own game. I think when it when you're referencing other games like this, it just feels a little bit like shallow to me. Sure. Um, I I get and yeah, again, I take your point, but it, it just didn't work for mm-hmm. me. Sean, are, are there any kind of favorite endings of of yours? I think I did the confusion ending, and I <laughs> and I realized just saying that out loud. Sounds really stupid. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> the confusion ending, so you, there's a point about um, where basically you, you reach this room. Um, so you've been doing a bunch of stuff, making decisions, and you like you think you've restarted like three or four times and things keep changing. And then you reach this room where, it, you know, it's like, it's basically it's up on this huge board on the wall where it's like the confusion ending like and, and details all the steps that you have to take to reach the confusion ending. Um, and you're about halfway through. At that point, and there's <laughs> and there's something really even that again, it you know just once again just is sort of really on the nose. Um, you know th- this is what is happening. You're looking at this board, and it's like, oh my god, it like it knows everything I've done because it's you know up to sort of step five, which is where you are when you see the board. Of course, it's just describing all the things you've just done for the last twenty minutes, and there's something really eerie about that. Even you, though you know by this point that's the whole thing. You know the game's whole thing is that you know free will's an illusion and everything's preordained and yeah but then you sort of look at it and it's like okay so these are like the next sort of three or four steps to get the confusion ending but then i think i messed something up and it just seemed to reset and go back to normal so i don't know so yeah i thought that was funny in that it, again it, it gives you this creepy feeling but actually again it's just pointing out something you already knew really um yeah. favorite has to be the museum ending mm, yeah two, two reasons one i just i really love the idea of there being a museum in a game to the game <laughs> and to the game's history. So mm. if anyone listening, if you haven't had the museum ending, it's where you stumble across it's a museum exhibit um, and it's basically got, you know, things from um, the original mod version or things that were cut from the game for whatever reason, including, you know, sort of models and textures and bits of dialogue and sort of different layouts for Stanley's office before it was finalised, stuff like that. My favourite bit is the bit that comes after, and this is, you know, I was saying I, I, I believe there is one canonical ending, and basically after the museum, you get put into this machine where you're sort of you're in this little sort of container, and you're being sort of slowly moved forward, and there's these two sort of giant metal plates slamming together, and and yeah, and basically the the voiceover um, just explains like you are going to die unless you quit the game. <laughs> like and basically just sort of says it over and over again and it's like why are you just sitting there why and again you know the first time you play it you sort of think well something's gonna happen it's not just gonna kill me and then restart right (laughs) but of course that is that is exactly what does happen the implication to me is that just stop playing the game that's the ending is to just choose to be like no i'm gonna like how many games have you all like continued playing that you didn't even like because i don't know you thought maybe it would get better or or something or Or there'd (laughs) be some payoff that was worth it yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, absolutely 
and yeah. and yeah, I just like the fact that this sort of says, well, no, no, just stop playing, just turn it off. That's that's the that, ending. That is better, a valid yeah. ending. Yeah. Is to <laughs> is to yeah. just not play it anymore. So uh, am you I cannot I... lose if you do not play. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Josh, you might be able to help out here. Am I right in thinking the museum ending is the bit of the game that most closely ties into the demo? In that it kind of takes you not outside the game, obviously, but am I right in thinking uh, it, there's a um, a woman narrator comes on in the museum, yes. which yes, is the correct. same voice as in the demo, possibly? I didn't have them side by side, so I couldn't tell, but at the beginning of the demo, uh, no, there's they're, a they're, they're not. Um, oh, okay. I, unfo- I, I unfortunately don't have the uh, don't have the voice actress's name, so it's nope, shame on no. me. But um, the 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 voice actress in the the main game is very clearly British, oh, and right. the voice yeah, actress right. in the yeah. demo is is American. Two of my, fa- like you guys have already covered some of my favorites, but I'll just add on these two, uh, just because, um, like, I lucked into di- kind of discovering these endings for myself, and um, I didn't have them spoiled for me, and I just bumped into them, and and I, I and I think they they really speak to um, how much the game kind of lets the player kind of push against. P- Push against the push against the edges of the game, um, the window ending. Um, I, just because the first time, like when that happens, mm. you're like, "Can I? Can I get on this? Can I get on? Can I go through that open window? Yeah, yes, I can. Oh, that's great! Like just that that like <laughs> slow realization that yes, in fact, the game will would account for that and yeah. allow me to do that, mm. and then being rewarded by a hilarious song uh, by the narrator. <laughs> And then, secondly, um, the broom closet ending, where you just keep going back into the broom closet and the narrator gets increasingly more and more annoyed the more you do it. And because I'm a sadist, like I just kept doing it and never got bored and, and I saw this through to the end. Um, and not, not being aware that, you know, there was an ending connected to this. I was just doing it because I'm a horrible person. <laughs> You see, I did, I did the broom closet once, like all the way through to the narrator thinking I'd died, and then and then you leave, and he goes, he's like, "Oh, welcome, player two. Thanks for <laughs> picking up the controller." <laughs> um, I, I thought that was it um, for the for the broom closet. I didn't think there was anything further to it. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you could just basically the narrator just gets annoyed at you and resets the game. Um, I, I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly. Um, so yeah, you could just keep keep doing it. It's a bit like the baby game where the the you're rewarded for sticking with it, basically. Yeah. But but again, it's just like as always. It seems with this game, whenever you think, oh, maybe that's it. Probably you can go and do that again. You know, you it probably will. You know, um, like the. Oh, which ending is it where you've got to uh, switch all the computers? Or oh, the heaven ending. Mm. You've got to input into all the computers. And uh, and one way to kind of do that is to keep resetting the game yourself uh, in order to get it to work. And it does actually take subsequent playthroughs into account. Um, mm. The moment where that first kind of clicked for me, which I don't know... Uh, I think I think it was probably the first moment I could have really noticed it, is when you run into the office and type in the code into the keypad before into the boss's office before you've been told the code to input and the narrator will just pipe up and say oh you seem to be in a bit of a hurry let's play some calming music and just a light (laughs) comes on and calming music plays and forces you to stand there until the narrator's decided you've calmed down 
and aren't going to rush and then he opens the door for you and it's just this great acknowledgement that you that subsequent playthroughs are going to be it's going to be recognized not necessarily what you've done before but that this is not the first time you've played the game and in some cases very much that you've done something before you know if you commit suicide over and over again by falling off the um the moving platform eventually the game will change when it starts up and different stuff will happen and there's no reason to know that you can do that until you just start doing that or play it enough that that happens uh, almost incidentally I, I should also say on the the baby game ending the the kind of flip side to the presenting games that kind of get the point but also miss the point of what games are is that if you do stick for four hours you get an ending that kind of gets the point but also misses the point on what art is which is kind of a really cool uh kind of duality to whether you stick around for four hours um you know just clicking buttons or let the baby go into the flames or the dog go into the piranhas and and uh and get the the sort of game references that i i mentioned so uh just kind of a, a second side to that which is is quite quite just weird and cool that that's taken into account so the freedom ending the one you get from just doing everything right i can't yeah. tell if this is just meant to be like a straight up red herring or if it's actually i don't think it's trying to make a clever point <laughs> because it, when you first do it and you're like oh okay it's kind of making fun of me for just doing as i'm told and then it gives me this sort of sarcastic nice ending happy ending yeah i think yeah i think at that point it's easy to be like okay is this what the game is trying to say but obviously as you get further Mm. in it it sort of gets much more clever than that but then there's also the telephone ending oh that's where it's where it sort of really quite aggressively starts having a go at you for for pushing the buttons like (laughs) and and that sort of almost reinforces you know what you get for getting the the freedom ending in that it's but in, in a much more sort of aggressive and quite unpleasant way in a sense oh very yeah very much so yeah 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 it's incredibly it dark so my my take on the freedom ending i kind of alluded to earlier is that the the narrator being the the kind of avatar for the for the developer has a, a narrative in mind but it's an incredibly unsatisfying one and either yeah. they either the narrator understands that it's unsatisfying and is rubbing your face in it or really doesn't and they got their own way and now they're realizing it's also unsatisfying mm-hmm. and that's kind of what you know what i meant by it. it feels like that is the first lesson in no you're gonna have to push back against what the narrator says they want because they didn't get satisfaction, you didn't get satisfaction. So somewhere that tension mm. between developer and player has to provide yeah. conflict or provide some kind of adversity. Dovetailing with what you're saying, James, mm. for me, um, the freedom ending is a criticism of developers who design games this way. Basically, just like if if you make a game that is effectively a glorified linear narrative like a a passive medium like film or games you are missing out on so much that the player brings to the table um when you when you give them room to be creative and 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 make choices and stuff like that so that's kind of how i interpreted it is just like developers don't make a game like this like it's boring (laughs) no one wants to play a game like this it doesn't expand or or improve our medium let's embrace what makes games unique but then it also makes fun of the idea that you do have any 
choice. This is the whole thing with a Stanley Parable yeah. is that it's really undecided yeah. on what, what what side of the fence it wants to be on, and and I kind of like that. I kind of like that it's not like this is definitely the right way of viewing this topic. Mm. You know, politics and taste are two different things. I think <laughs> when you're talking about political subjects, I feel like you need to have a stance. Yeah. But when it's about design, when it's about like how art conveys itself, I think it's interesting to be in the margins and kind of explore the in-between. Mm. But I think there's something there as well that um, in, in politics, it, uh, yeah, I get what you mean, Josh. It's okay to have a stance, um, but it doesn't mean you have to have the solution. Uh, it's okay to yeah, say, you yeah, know what, okay. I, I don't yeah. know what the solution is. And let's face it, the vast majority of politics is that. Uh, and and, yeah. and those who sadly want to be politicians seem to think they have answers that any reasonable person should know don't solve all the problems. They may be the best solution that's available, but they're, they're not perfect. Uh, and, and in this, there's this notion that um, the, the game, from some perspectives, could be seen to be having a go at player, but from other perspectives, it's having a go at developers. Uh, and mm-hmm. and then, yeah. from other perspective, it's just observing that there's a problem with the nature of game and games in, in general and of themselves. The pull between mechanics and art, which uh, which several of the endings kind of pull at, uh, in that you're often doing very mechanically mundane things, and then the narrator's telling you there's some meaning in that when you may well not feel there is, or or vice versa. Um, you know, um, the explosion ending, um, the the narrator is kind of laughing at you because you think you can find a way out of this. And and all the while, I, I guess what you as the player is supposed to feel is is a certain amount of anxiety or panic over the fact you don't have any control in that situation, which is a kind of really cool, um, tense moment to be in. Even though obviously it's played for kind of dark, uh, darkly comic humor. Almost whichever way you look, there's something to be taken away from this game. But yeah, as you say, Josh, I'm not sure there's necessarily any solutions offered by it or necessarily even any conclusions other than what you draw yourself so cool Uh, i think it's time we heard from our community so uh, starting with the emailer it's one core idea executed very well that doesn't overstay its welcome this game could easily have been very pretentious or trying hard to be full of uh, pop culture the balance it achieves is genuinely compelling It's not just a case of good writing. I think it shows really good comedic timing in the structure of when events are triggered, as well as understanding what the player will try and how they might react. Props to Kevin Brighting's performance. I especially like his delivery of increasing exasperation with the player for disobeying orders. The transition in tone for each different path is also subtly done. It's not a case of any massive jarring shifts. One could look at the game in a deep way, i.e. the meaning of choice, the nature of entertainment. But what I got from it was amusement and delighted surprise in the creativity. Jacob G42 says, Once I gave the Stanley Parable to my dad to play. He played it once through, following all the directions. I pressed him to try it again, and he nearly did the exact same thing until I nudged him to not go along with the narration. At that point, the magic was gone. The Stanley Parable is a one-trick pony, but it's a really good trick. It's a trick that, when prodded at, only spirals farther in on itself. 
Reedon said that they utterly exhausted every single possibility when writing the game, and that shows. There aren't any narrative stones left unturned here. The thing is, and this might be too high of a bar, I'm not sure if the Stanley Parable is saying anything, really. It's definitely a fun experiment and is on some level a look at the linearity of most game stories. However, where something like Bioshock used this existing trope to make a statement about agency, the Stanley Parable just presents little vignettes. I wish I felt there was more going on here, but it feels very surface level. I partly only hold the game to this standard because Reedon's next project, The Beginner's Guide, is one of my favourite games ever and proof he can pull off interesting vignettes and larger themes at the same time. The Stanley Parable is fun. Maybe I'm selfish for wanting it to be more than that. Interesting comment there. I was I was thinking about this when I, I read uh, through Jakob G42's comment today and I wondered what you guys thought on that notion of uh, player agency in, or commenting on player agency in Stanley Parable versus, say, a Bioshock, and whether you actually need to have um, a, a thoroughly consistent narrative and thematic um, kind of consensus, if you like, in in order to in order for the impact to hit. Um, and I, I ended up thinking about, like, not exactly terribly relevant, but. Um, Monty Python's The Holy Grail versus Meaning of Life, which is a series of vignettes that do have a thematic core, versus an episode of Monty Python where they're just sketches and they don't necessarily have to have any connecting thread um, other than, you know, the actors in it and and the humour that's on display. I don't necessarily agree that Stanley Parable doesn't tie together in a thematic whole, but I just wonder what you guys thought on whether it's necessary for it to do so in order to be impactful. So with something like Bioshock, which, as you say, sort of points at similar issues regarding agency. Hmm. With Bioshock, because it is framed around a, you know, sort of, what, 20, 30-hour game with a story and nice graphics and everything, Hmm. like that payoff when you, you know, the the whole would you kindly reveal and, and meeting Andrew Ryan and stuff, like, is huge. And I think certainly putting a message like that in a game like Bioshock is really vital in terms of getting, like, putting those ideas in more people's heads. Um, because yeah. I'm willing to bet Bioshock sold more copies than Stanley Parable did. <laughs> but it, it's equally interesting for something like the Stanley Parable, which is just, well, let's just explore that same issue in lots of interesting little different ways. If, like, it, maybe it doesn't mm. stick with you in the same way and you're not going to, like, get, like, a you know residual sort of emotional reaction remembering the Stanley Parable as I might with Bioshock, mm. but probably learned more from playing the Stanley Parable. I don't know. Is that fair? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think ultimately the objectives of of the two games are very different. Hmm. Um, Stanley Parable is a thought experiment. It's it's just kind of playing with an idea and kind of stretching it as far as it will go. It's like going to see like um, like a one hour play that's like just cost five quid to get in, and it's just uh, it's just a bunch of writers and actors kind of playing with with some concepts that they've been thinking about. Whereas Bioshock is like a big blockbuster movie that maybe has more on its mind than some of its peers. Like maybe it's you know more Mad Max Fury Road than Transformers, but it's it is still kind of you know that big budget kind of triple a game experience so with it it's kind of use of that subversion is meant to land with like a 
you know, it's meant to be a gut punch. It's mm. meant to be an explosion. Yeah. It's meant to shock you out of your previous thinking. Whereas Stanley Parable is just kind of guiding you gently through uh, a few little ideas that you may have not considered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have a look at this. And yeah, I, I don't necessarily think one is better than the other. I don't think, nope, um, sure. I think what, what Bioshock does um, within the within the kind of realms of, you know, of that type of AAA experience, it does really, really well. And I think Stanley Parable does a really, really good job of kind of a more subtle exploration of those ideas. Um, so I, there's room for both. I, I wonder, I wonder too, if, if the Stanley Parable perhaps feels more simplistic because it's a series of binary choices. And I, I'm very much a fan, actually, of um, the notion that a series of binary choices feels very simple as you're doing it, but ends up looking very, very complex in the way that I mentioned, like a probability tree uh, for anyone who, who remembers high school maths. Um, <laughs> you, you can end up with a massive amount of narrative complexity from what seem like very simple choices, but when you string them together, suddenly you've got a massive number of different outcomes. Uh, and the way that the Stanley Parable attributes different outcomes to each end of that probability tree, if you like. So you, you may only make six decisions in in one playthrough, but six binary decisions has actually a, a large number of outcomes just by virtue of exponential too much math, sorry. Um, whereas, uh, so so it's very mechanically simple in that you're only ever making a binary choice, but, but narratively, actually, there can be a lot of complexity there. Uh, in the same way that The Walking Dead gave quite often quite simple choices um, and uh, a lot of people worried that the outcomes at the end didn't really make much difference but it's the way it felt it Mm. felt like there was a lot of variety there versus say when you get to the end of a fallout or a skyrim game and you you see the sort of ending fallout three it was wasn't it It went through each character and what happened to them and that looked Mm. more complex than perhaps it was and i'm kind of talking around something i've not clearly thought through (laughs) <laughs> but it it just I, I think Stanley Parable feels simpler than it is and actually with the variety of outcomes you end up getting and the fact it reflects each outcome differently and does something different with it I think that actually um, there's a lot of credit to be given to that even though it looks simple on the surface I guess is what I'm trying to say yeah like uh, just on the, the complexity thing I think one thing this game should get more credit for is that you know you you get like one or two endings and you're like okay I get it you play a bit make some choices get an ending back to the start hmm. but actually it's a bit more layered than that isn't it because there are certain endings that you get through reaching a point and then it appears to restart but actually you're sort of you actually, know a third of the way yeah. down the path of a specific ending and you might yeah, not yeah. know it at that point which means also in a similar way it's kind of also saying something similar to what say a rogue legacy or an infinity blade did about that recursive nature of a story uh, or um, heck let's mention it why not even the souls games says something about mm-hmm. a cycle an iterative cycle and what that actually means and that it may look the same each time but actually there's something different going on and this the the recursive nature itself there is a commentary you know is there's something there on that uh, infinity blade actually is is a game i'd recommend people look to for for that kind of thing and something that d- does kind of sit separately to the mechanics but actually is a really cool level of that game that you don't necessarily see until you have played it through multiple times moving on to our next uh, contributor spacefarer says I first played and watched the Stanley Parable in its original form as a Half-Life 2 mod. 
It was very interesting, but for no reason in particular, I didn't play that version too much. The full version, on the other hand, I've put a decent amount of time into, enough time to see a fair share of its many endings. And honestly, I can't really think of much negative to say about it. It is well presented, it doesn't outstay its welcome, and it seems to achieve what it sets out to do. That being a fun poke at storytelling within video games. What it does, it does extremely well, and it doesn't overdo it. Jakob G42 is probably right about it not being very deep, but I don't think it needs to be. And I must mention the narrator, he's fantastic and exactly my sort of humour. I'd say the Stanley Parable is the video game equivalent of The Colour of Magic or The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. A funny, daft and ultimately well-polished little adventure. Uh, Matan Zhao says, Stanley Parable is the infinite game. I remember playing Stanley Parable for three hours straight before realizing that the game starts all over again and doesn't tell you that it's over. For me, Stanley Parable almost feels like a sketch or a draft of an interesting video game. I found the gameplay in itself quite dull. Stanley pushed the red button. Uh, Stanley went through the hall. And then it is up to you if you want to follow the narrator's instructions or ignore them and go rogue. I like the idea of having the narrator, especially if it's that well performed, but otherwise the game did not have that much to offer me. Maybe because I sort of knew what the game's gimmick was before I played it. The less you know about Stanley Parable, the better. But even though it's not a Valve game, it sure has a sense of Valve humour, which I appreciate. So yeah, the, um, the community, much more critical of the Stanley Parable than we are, um, but yes, um, don't say we don't represent <laughs> the uh, the full spectrum of opinion on this podcast. On on that note about the narration, I mean, the narration in this is, as as sh- I hope has been obvious from what we've been saying, <laughs> is kind of everything. That's one side of the two main people involved in this game. That's the developer's voice and, and the player is pushing against it. I just think it's, it's notable that the mod was released the same year as Bastion. Mm. And Bastion's very notable because it has a, a great performance for, from a narrator, but it, it got noticed for having a narrator that responded to your actions. And this game obviously does it flips that and does something very uh, different. But Bastion feels like a relevant touchstone in that it is reactive, whereas what Stanley Parable does is it has preemptive um, narration in order to be instructive to the player. You know, that... that that creates the whole conflict from from which you know we've mentioned several times this whole game kind of uh, revolves around um in that as you said Josh 90% of people probably are going to hear go left and they're going to go right first just to see what happens because you can always come back and go left uh, and having doors shut after you go through them is another kind of key point at uh, that this game makes of you don't always get to redo that and so if your choice is to go against the narration um, and to use that as a kind of catalyst to do something different, that's going to be reflected. Um, and so, yeah, the narration is just everything in this game. I think the, the Bastion comparison is is also interesting because when Bastion came out and everyone mm. started, like, first started playing it, there's like one instance near the start of the game where the narrator comments on, like, if you just kind of run around just bashing things and <laughs> yeah, destroying yeah, destructible yeah. scenery like and he comments on it and everyone's like oh my god this is so clever like he you know the developers <laughs> have foreseen things that i might do that aren't strictly what the game yeah, wants yeah, me to yeah. do but but actually there's maybe two instances of that in the whole yeah. game 
<laughs> whereas the Stanley Parable is entirely built on that, you know? And, and all you need is those two instances to make it feel... It's, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the very people were convinced. Yeah, situation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of... Uh, I know uh, Matt and Zvi mentioned it being dull. Um, I thought that the pacing is pretty much perfect. Like, again, so, yeah. you know, this is a, a contemporary of Dear Esther, which I do really like, but there is a lot of just walking around quite slowly. Careful, um, Sean. Like be- We're going to have a between- problem, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, whereas no, no, this feels yeah. Yeah. this feels really tightly composed mm. to me. Um, as long as like, you're always oh, yeah, moving for sure, forward, yeah. you're always. Yeah. I mean, okay, the interactions aren't particularly interesting. He says it's it's mostly just pushing buttons and stuff. But um, I think as long as you're engaging with the narrative, I mean, for me that was enough. Mm. I'm kind of past the point of thinking that, you know, gameplay is king. Yeah. I know that's the critical term that gets banded about a lot, but I, I just don't believe that's true anymore. Mm. I think the variety of experiences that games can offer means that sometimes actually narrative can be king, art direction can be king, uh, gameplay can take a back seat sometimes and just be, you could just explore an environment and that's A-OK. Yeah. Um, I, I think the gameplay is exactly what it needs to be for this game. Um, I And I agree that the pacing is spot on. Um, it's not, you know, it's not as quick as quick as uh, we're maybe used to with um, other games, but like it, it, I think it strikes a good balance. Like it just slowly introduces you to its concepts, but m- make sure to, you know, show you something new, um, a nice bit of dialogue here and there just to keep your interest. I, I think it does a good job of managing, uh, managing the player's interest. Yeah. And like, uh, as people who play a lot of, video games you forget that like obviously we look at this and we're like oh it's really simplistic and you know you just move around and you occasionally push a button but then you know you look at a game like this and think well this is the sort of thing that people who don't really play games could be interested in because it doesn't involve yeah. skill particularly and then you hand the controller to someone who doesn't really play games and realize that it involves typical first person controls yeah, which skill. are a nightmare if you <laughs> don't somebody, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so certainly any more complexity would just yeah, I think it would disrupt the point, and I mm. think it would yeah further alienate some people who might be interested in checking it out who don't generally play a lot of games. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and for anyone who does play games, there, there's the advantage that not only will this look familiar to anyone who's played you know Source Engine games from the mid two thousands, but it's going to play similarly as well, and and even then beyond that. Uh, there, you know, there is a point made in the achievements that you can't jump in the game, which is something someone might expect to be able to do, but they take that into account in the game. It's it's using the fact that some people are going to find the mechanics quite simplistic. That's again, it's another part of the subversion. It's another part of of how the game is responding to the player. It acknowledges that you know it's quite simplistic in some ways, and the narrator acknowledges it. You know, several times it looks like you only have one choice, and the narrator will acknowledge you trying to find another. Uh, the the phone um, is a classic mm. example of that. Um, there is a choice there that isn't apparent uh, when when you first look at that phone, and that's where the the depth comes from for me. It's it's using the simple mechanics, but uh, finding interesting ways of of doing other stuff in in that kind of simple framework. Let's move on to our free word reviews. Uh, whenever we're about to record a uh, a new issue, uh, we will send out a call out on Twitter. So follow us at Kane and Rince and spot those call outs to give us your free word reviews. 
Um, James, start us off. Jacob Geller says, follow the line. Joe Marley says, couple... Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's not easy to... Cup Sorry. Bored to death. <laughs> uh, Sean Xavier Lucero says, the end. Or... The Tiege says, stand out experience. Nicholas Cuck says, uh, half office life. <laughs> uh, Tom Hewlett says, not that door. Uh, Louis Filiatro says, very impressive debut. Daipudi says, amazing second playthrough. And Ben Naylor says, for some reason, Stanley decided to ignore the three-word review format. That certainly wasn't going to get his review read out on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, joke's on you, Ben. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, all that leaves us with um, is our summaries, um, and I will start us off. Um, So the Stanley parable, I feel like we were talking about it, and I I felt myself liking the game more just kind of talking about it with you guys than I maybe actually do. I, I think it's a really cool game, and I and when I played it for the first time, I found it really, really interesting. And all of the stuff that we've discussed, I, I, like, I find it endlessly fascinating. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't... Um, it doesn't kind of stick out to me as a favourite. Um, it's not one that... Like I think about returning to, um, it's it's it it just it does feel like I said earlier. It feels like a a really fascinating thought experiment that I recommend to everyone, um, especially if you're like us and you're just really invested in the medium. I think it has a lot to, uh, of interesting things to say about the medium, but like it's um, in the kind of genre of walking simulators, we really need to find a better name uh, for that <laughs> genre. Uh, but within that kind of um, that um, that genre, I, I, it doesn't it doesn't stand up to stuff like Gone Home for me, where I feel like um, those games have have an emotional core that mm. just kind of connects with me um, in a way. Where this this game's kind of really clever, humorous observations, it just doesn't kind of bury itself in my soul the way those more uh, emotive titles do. Um, Edith Finch as well. I uh, forget mm. to mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I yes, I highly recommend um, the Stanley Parable. I also recommend you play the demo as well. I think that's it's free, so you have no excuse, um, and it's really funny in its own right. But yeah, ultimately not not a favourite, even if it is fascinating. James, probably you you're you're right uh, from my perspective as well, Josh. In that um, I enjoyed this game at the time. I enjoyed the discussion about the game at, at the time. But talking about it, you know, uh, doing research for the show and getting ready for it this afternoon, and talking about it now with you guys tonight, I feel like I'm getting more and more energised about all the stuff that this game brings up. But I don't think that necessarily means uh, that I'm making more of the game than is there. Uh, conversely, I think the fact that talking about it gets me energised in this way about stuff like iterative narrative, about uh, how binary decisions when stacked upon one another can make something simple into something complex, a- about how a game can anticipate and push back even though there's uh, an asynchronous nature to when the developer did their bit and the player did their bit um, there's still a tension there that by all rights uh, shouldn't necessarily exist and yet the game points out it exists in every video game which is something that I hadn't necessarily considered all that much before 
um, the Stanley Parable and have certainly considered a heck of a lot since in, in many games, but certainly in stuff like the Beginner's Guide, which I do hope we cover on Cane and Rinse at some point in the future. And it's, it's lovely to be able to go back to Stanley Parable nearly five years, not quite, I'm waiting, uh, later and think about uh, what you said, Josh, about how this couldn't work in film. Um, and, you know, stuff like The Matrix touches on the philosophy of narrative and whether a protagonist has agency and predestination and, and all that kind of stuff, but in a way that film can handle it and not in a way that necessarily would work in games. I absolutely agree with your sentiment, Josh, that, that this couldn't work as a film, but I kind of had the revelation this afternoon, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, Maybe the best example or, or a good example recently of this kind of thing in a passive medium is The Good Place because it sets mm. up a structured world that pushes back against the protagonists in a, an arc, in a designed way by an architect. And it really creates a game within the world you are viewing. The fact that five years after the fact, I can make a connection to a show that I'm enjoying very much at the moment to a game that, you know, until we started talking about it today, I, I didn't necessarily feel as energized about. Uh, it's it's incredible that a game can do that with simple parts make something so profound to me. It's no, it's, it's no secret I'm a big fan of uh, walking simulators and I don't mind mechanical simplicity as long as uh, there's a, a point to it even if the point is just to get you thinking about something that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise. That's what Stanley Parable did in every single way. And yeah, I love it for that. Sean? I was really pleasantly surprised how fresh this still feels. And I think, yeah, like I say, even though it's been five years, I think the questions it asks are still worth asking, still worth thinking about. However, I would also agree it hasn't sat in my head in the way that um, you know other games in the genre have. Like discussing it now, I'm reminded that no spoilers, but the very final ending to Near Automata, like it sort of invites you to stick two fingers up at the devs. But again, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, yeah, but but also the developers built this in, so that's not really what's happening. And then, of course, playing the Stanley Parable again, I'm like, yes, I've I've been here before. This is <laughs> this is a problem that has already uh, been explored in a really interesting way asks a, a, a lot of interesting questions provides no real answers but as we've discussed I, I don't think that's such a bad thing i think just asking the question and presenting it in an interesting way is enough and yeah like i it, it does like i say it, it gives this impression of being a little bit older than it is but uh, as we've discussed i think that is like an intentional move i think that initial office is supposed to look incredibly dry so that when things start going weird narratively it, it's it's really quite jarring in a good way mm. i think yeah. one, one thing we've not really touched upon is in terms of the humor is not just the the weird narrator stuff but like just some of the you know the slides in the meeting room <laughs> and like the presentation slides yeah, yeah. genuinely very funny like some of the stuff scribbled on on you know whiteboards and some of the the signs saying like you know do not lie if you are currently lying please stop Stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, really enjoyed all of that. And yeah, you know, it, it's one of those games, it's very, very cheap um, to pick up in a Steam sale and it will only take you, what, two hours at the most to, to get something out of it. You'll never see all the endings in, in two hours, but, you know, you probably don't need to unless you really want to. 
still well worth a go. That just leaves me to say thank you to James and Sean and all of our correspondents. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, And just to reiterate, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go subscribe, rate and review on, you know, iTunes or whatever podcast app you like to use. Um, Head over to Patreon if you want to uh, give something back. Um, As I mentioned at the top, uh, Jay and and uh, Leon will sometimes do like a a monthly mini cast uh, that just kind of talks about what's going on with Kane and Rince um, and and Jay will just talk about Monster Hunter for a bit. (laughs) Um, So enjoy. Next time in issue 319, find out if Leon uh, finally managed to defeat that goddamn tyrant on the airplane in uh, Resident Evil Code Veronica. (laughs) Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.